would turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verses 9 through 14. Um, we are starting a very brief thematic series for just a few weeks on uh, what we're calling All Things New. Uh, all the things that are new to us because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to be on that for maybe five weeks. And then afterwards, we're going to begin a new series on uh, the epistle to the second, well, not the, the epistle to the second Corinthians, but the second epistle to the Corinthians uh, to follow up with our study of first Corinthians that we did a few years ago. And looking forward to that. So that'll probably take up the rest of most of the year afterwards. Um, I did promise a couple people People keep asking me to preach on Revelation. I don't know why, but I promise that within a year from now, I'm going to try to tackle some of that as well. So hold your breath and be ready for the fights because they will come. But in the meantime, Colossians 1, verses 9 through 14. Let's uh, read God's holy word. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. This is part of Paul's prayer that he's praying on behalf of them and their, his encouragement to them. Um, but we're only going to focus really on that latter uh, verse or two, verse 13 and 14, 13 primarily. And we're going to go off on some tangents to explain what that means in context of our lives as Christians today. So with that being said, let's, let's pray together. Our Father, we do ask for your blessing upon the reading, the preaching of your word. We pray, Father, that these would not be mere words that we listen to, that these would not be mere words that we have read, uh, but there's power in your word. We pray that you would help us to believe uh, the promises of God. You would help us to uh, see what these prayers are all about and how they affect us in such a powerful way. Lord, we, we pray that you would give us the mind of Christ and we would no longer have the mindset of the world and, and so easily doubt and walk in a different manner altogether from the ways you've laid out for us in your word. We pray that you would strengthen us according to your word this day. In Jesus' name, amen. So in, in C.S. Lewis's fourth novel in the Chronicles of Narnia, I think I've mentioned this one to you before, uh, it's, it's called The Silver Chair. There is a main figure in the story. His name is Prince Rillian. He's been missing for 10 years. He was taken captive by the Emerald Witch uh, after the killing of his own mother. And two of the children in this novel, uh, they're not the Pevensies, but related to them in, in one way or another, and, and friendship-wise, they are sent on a quest by Aslan the Lion to find this prince. And on their journey, they find themselves in an underland or an underground world. Uh, through which uh, they have fallen through a fissure in a cave. In this world, there's a city that's ruled by what is referred to as the Lady of the Green Kirtle. All right. You follow me so far? She herself is away when they arrive, but there's a young man who's there to greet them, and he seems to be a really nice fellow, but he tells them 
that he has psychotic episodes every night in which, by the lady's orders, he has to be bound to this silver chair so that he doesn't hurt anyone because he will turn into a deadly green serpent and kill everyone in sight. And so he willingly submits to having himself tied to this chair every night. But when the youth decide to stick around to sort of see this fantastical transformation, they don't see a monster at all that night, but rather they see a very pitiful creature in desperation crying out to be released from that chair. And eventually the children do release him after he he basically vows in the name of Aslan, release me from this chair. And they, they, uh, respecting Aslan, abide by his wishes. And as soon as he gets out of the chair, he destroys the chair and reveals to them that he is in fact the prince that had been missing for ten years. Well, when the lady returns, we find out that this lady of the green kirtle is in fact the emerald witch and she now reveals herself to be the green serpent who wants to kill everyone she's been lying to him all these years and uh, through some help they're able to make it safely back home but there's it's not difficult to see sort of the biblical illusions that are referenced here in this story prince Rillian is sort of like the demon possessed man in the region of the garrisons if you will um, he was held captive by these unclean spirits if you remember and uh, he's living in a graveyard. He's been bound with shackles and chains many times, but he continues to break them. No one can seem to subdue, subdue him at all. But he's not a monster. He's just a creature of God and a miserable one at that who's constantly cutting himself and crying out in desperation. He wants to be relieved, but has no way of salvation until Jesus comes to town. And when Jesus comes to town, he confronts the legion of demons that are possessing his body and soul, tormenting him all those years. And immediately Jesus casts these demons out into the pigs. And you know the rest of the story. They rush down the steep cliff and are drowned in the depths of the sea. And finally, we see this man in his right mind. And the crowds of the town come to see him because for the first time he's fully clothed and in his right mind, and they're amazed at what he has done, and now he's going around to all the towns surrounding, saying what Jesus has done for him. What's interesting in our passage this morning in Colossians, the Apostle Paul is describing a similar situation for all of us who have now trusted in Christ in that we too have been delivered from the captivity of the devil. That's essentially what Paul is saying here. Verse 13, he says, He, that's God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Of course, we weren't literally demon-possessed in the same way that this guy was, but nevertheless, we were owned and possessed by the devil as a subject in His kingdom. Now, if you recall, at the time of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, the devil claims all the kingdoms of the world as his own, right? You you see this again and again in in, in each of the Gospels. He's, he's telling Christ to bow down and worship Him, and He can then have the kingdoms given to Him freely without having to go to the cross. It's interesting that Jesus never actually corrects Him in this statement that all these kingdoms belong to Him. In fact, we see later on in the Gospel of John, three times Jesus refers to Satan as the ruler of this world. He's a usurper. He's not the real ruler, but nevertheless, that's what He's called. He's called the ruler of of this world. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the Apostle Paul says he's the God of this world. And later on in John's first epistle, 
chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. He says, the whole world lies in the power of this evil ruler. So there is some truth in what he's saying. And as those who once walked according to the patterns of this world, who were once under the power of the prince of the power of the air, as Paul says in Ephesians 2.2, 2, we know something of that truth. We were once members of this dark kingdom. We were subjects of this domain, even slaves under the sway and power of the devil. Blinded by his deceptions, we were captivated, if you will, enchanted by his subtle charms. Uh, now, it's, it's this concept, along with the imagery of what we find in the, the story of the silver chair, it reminds me of a song by Keith Green that I used to sing well back in the 70s, Your Love Broke Through. You guys remember that song? He says it this way, like waking up from the longest dream, how real it seemed until your love broke through. I've been lost in a fantasy that blinded me until Christ's love broke through. In a sense, the whole world still lies under the spell of this evil, dark Lord. They're living in a fairy tale in which they believe that Christ does not sit on His holy throne. But instead, somehow, someone else does. And because of that, the whole world is out of order. It's chaotic because they can't see the truth until the spell is broken and their eyes are open to see that, in fact, Jesus is the king of this story. And then he's coming back to claim the whole world as his own. In the meantime, they're still under the tyranny of the devil. Now, this is one of the highlights of the gospel. This proclamation of liberty to the captives and a freedom for the oppressed. Listen, Paul, Paul's exhorting Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 26. He's telling Timothy to teach the gospel regularly and to correct his opponents with gentleness. For this reason, he says, so that they too might come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Again and again, we see this theme in the New Testament of people who are captured by the devil to do his will. He's a tyrannical king. He's a harsh taskmaster. He's a, he's a, a dark prince who has enslaved the world. And as the world is described in the New Testament, it's, it's described as enchanted, enslaved, and oppressed as subjects of this evil realm. Now, it's, it's for this very reason that Christ came to earth in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, we're told that the Son of God appeared in order to destroy the works of the devil. That's why He came. And to deliver this kingdom of God back to where it rightfully belongs. And we see this at the end of the story. We see it at the end of uh, uh, the Bible in Revelation 11, verse 15. It says, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever. This is, this is how the story ends. As, as you and I both know, though, that hasn't happened yet, has it? In fact, we see evidences everywhere of the rule of Satan over this dark world. I mean, turn on the news. You know, open a book. Watch a movie. You'll see it everywhere you go. That Satan is, in fact, still exerting his diabolical sway over the vast majority of the population of this world. And yet, there's also evidence that his kingdom is crumbling day by day. And we see that at first, 
Jesus' incarnation. We see that at first when he first begins to preach the gospel of the kingdom and he's proving that he is in fact the rightful king of this world by casting out the demons, by showing his power over the devil. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 22 and following, the Pharisees, if you remember, were accusing Jesus of being in league with the devil by the fact that he was casting out demons. And here's what he says to them. He says, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. And no city or house divided against itself can stand. So if Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then know that the kingdom of God has come upon you. For how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless first he binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. So Jesus is proving his authority as the rightful king by tossing out the usurper. By binding the strong man, showing that he's even stronger, can break his chains. And so it's with the resurrection of Christ from the dead, after paying the penalty for our sins, we see this even more fully. Christ is proving his power over the devil by freeing many under the dominion of his dark kingdom. We see the Second Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. In his ministry, Paul says this, Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. So Paul's using an illustration here of uh, Roman generals after they have won a battle in war. They'll come back into the city of Rome, this glorious city, and they'll take all of those that have been captured by them in war and display them on parade through the city, and they are required to offer incense in honor of the general. So what we see here, though, is Paul is saying in the same way that he now, along with his fellow co-workers, have been held, taken captive, if you will, back by Christ, and now they're offering their incense by spreading the fragrance of his name everywhere, proving that Christ has won his victory over the dark Lord. This is profound. The way, the way Paul describes this great victory in verse 13 of our text, he has, he's showing us something very uh, normal during ancient times because he's using the language of how a, a king is transferring those that he has gained victory over by transferring them or transplanting them to another realm in order to prove that they are now his subjects. They don't even belong anymore to their nation. They can no longer rebel against him, so he's going to move them entirely to another place. And so we see this uh, very commonly in, in the Mesopotamian kings, the Assyrians, if you remember, are transplanting the northern nation of Israel to a foreign land. And then we see the same thing with the Babylonians, the southern nation of Judah. They're also being transplanted to Babylon, Persia, and other places throughout the empire. Again, to break their spirit, but also to show that he has the right over them. He is now their king. So in this case, though, the Lord is not transplanting foreigners, if you will, into his kingdom, but rather He's returning his rightful subjects to his kingdom of light, back to home, if you will, out of the dark realm of oppression, bringing them into the promised land. This is, this is the, the way Moses is described leading the Israelites out of Egypt. He's bringing them out of the darkness into the light, right? The same way we see Zerubbabel and later on some others that are bringing the, the Jews out of Babylon back to the promised land, back to home. Now we see Paul is using that same language to describe how Jesus is leading his people out of the realm of the devil and into 
his glorious kingdom. Now, of course, we're not talking about a physical kingdom as of yet. The new Jerusalem has yet to be revealed. But nevertheless, there's a a real exchange that's taking place here. At the time of our salvation, there's a real change in nationality, if you will. You could almost say it this way, you have a new spiritual passport that has a different nation's title on it. It's no longer a member of the kingdom of the devil, but I'm now kingdom of the glorious Son of God. No longer subjects of the realm of the prince of Beelzebub, but now, Paul says, our citizenship is where? It's in heaven. And from heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's precisely because we are already believers in Christ Jesus that we now long for and pray for this kingdom to come in its fullness. Because we now have experienced this new kingdom, have tasted it, want it more. Now if you think about it, the most common title that we attribute to Christ in the New Testament is Lord. It's another title for king, proving that The devil is no longer our prince. He's no longer our sovereign. But rather, Jesus is our new king. Continually in our prayers and our conversations, we're acknowledging that the devil has no more power over us. We're not a part of his realm anymore. We belong to another realm entirely. This is good news. That has many ramifications for how we live our life here on earth. And this is what I wanted to talk about this morning. How all of this is so new, and it gives us hope because it's, Good news. There's a huge difference between being a subject of the dark domain and being a subject of Christ's kingdoms. Think about it. Let's, for starters, it, it, this is a new year. This is the year of our Lord, 2023. Christ has been reigning over His people for 2,023 years now. And now this year of ours, the one that we are planning for and the one that we are resolving ourselves to live for, we are now living for our King. The year of our Lord, 2023. The Lord has opened our eyes. He's turned us away from the darkness. This is a bright day for us, a bright future for us because Christ is our King. It's a wonderful future. In fact, uh, this day we know that no matter what we will do or what we can do we know that christ is still our savior he's our lord we know the forgiveness of sins today we know that his mercies are new this day we know that god's grace is greater than our sin this day and that's great news it gives us great hope as we go about whatever the lord would have for us to do this day but even tomorrow we know that tomorrow will be good as well why because the king already holds tomorrow in his hands he's our king he's reigning in our place showing us his goodwill for us that even he knows our needs he will meet our needs according to his wise and perfect plan think about it even the worst case scenario what's the worst possible future that you can envision here on earth give you a minute to think about it maybe 30 seconds the worst thing that could happen to you all of your fears and anxieties rolled up into one christ still reigns He's still the king. And he's promised you that he will take you safely into his glorious kingdom no matter what could happen. You are already a victor in Christ Jesus. That gives you hope. It gives you great, glorious hope knowing that the worst possible thing that could happen to you, even that is under God's sovereign plan, he's working it out for your good, and eventually he's going to take you to the good place, the glorious realm of his kingdom. 
But even now, as strangers and aliens in this dark domain, as visitors, if you will, we're groaning for a better country. There's still much light and life for us to enjoy here and now. Uh, another song that I've, I've loved for many, many years uh, by Michael Card is called Joy in the Journey. Uh, we, we, we played it at our, at our wedding. We went down the aisle to Joy in the Journey. Here's what he says. There is a joy in this journey. There's a light that we can love on the way. We're not in heaven yet, but there's a light we can love now. There's a wonder and wildness to life and freedom for those who obey. There's glorious freedom and light and love for those who know Christ Jesus. Regardless of how bad your circumstances might be, there's still joy in the journey this day. For all those who have been tormented by doubt, the constant deceit of the devil weighing upon them, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The truth has set you free. You can enjoy that freedom. Revel in that freedom knowing that your sins are forgiven and forgotten through the blood of Christ. This is a glorious new day. I love the way Jesus sees his own secure position before or in the presence of the devil. Um, he knows he's perfectly righteous, right? Uh, but he also tells the disciples in John chapter 14, verse 30, he says this, he says, the ruler of this world is coming. Now that should make us all quake in our boots. The ruler of this world is coming. In other words, he's going to do his worst. But then Jesus says to them, he has no claim on me. Emphatically, he has no claim on me. Now this is the glorious truth of the gospel. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're in union with him, the same truth applies to you because Christ's perfection, his righteousness is given to you. You can say with absolute certainty. The devil has no claim on me. None. I am free. Free from his terror, free from his slavery, free from his condemnation. I mean, literally, he can accuse me day and night until the cows come home. And yet I'm free. I'm forgiven. There's joy in this journey. I look forward to all he can throw at me knowing that Christ is with me and that Christ has saved me and that Christ will continue to be with me. Your temptations will still come. Satan will still uh, tempt us in, in many ways. And in fact, the Lord uses even his temptations as a trial of our faith to see how much we really do trust and love the Lord Jesus and see how loyal we are to his word. And, and yet, we're also promised that he who is in us is greater than he that is in the world. He's told us temptations will come. And yet, Christ has come to destroy the works of the devil. And we find in 2 Corinthians that that same divine power that Christ uses to destroy the works of the devil is now within us so that we too can tear down his strongholds in our lives. We are not pawns of the devil. No matter how many times you have probably believed that, and that you are always going to be subject to His rule and authority and always have to fall into the same habitual sin again and again. It doesn't have to be that way. The Lord has promised that there is power available to you if you tap into it. You are no longer in the same realm. The battle belongs to the Lord. So we're not hopeless. We're not helpless. 
there's just as much truth in our sanctification as there's truth in our justification. Meaning that not only has Christ declared us to be righteous, but He's also promised to start making us that way. That we can grow in holiness. We can grow in righteousness. We can make progress in the faith. Again, no matter how much Satan accuses us, we can stand confident and secure of our salvation because the promises of God. It does not depend upon our efforts. It does not depend upon our labor. It does not depend upon our feelings or how we think we are doing on this particular day. It all depends upon the merits and the blood of Jesus Christ. All of it does. And we can stand secure in that. For that very reason, Satan continues to work so hard to tempt God's people Mainly for this reason, because he and all the world can see the drastic difference between someone who is living in his kingdom and someone who is seeking to live for the kingdom of God. There's a drastic difference between the two. And anyone who knows and loves the Lord Jesus is now living to walk in a manner worthy of that kingdom. Is living in confidence. Living in love. Bearing fruit continually for the sake of God's kingdom. And frankly, that type of lifestyle infuriates the devil. Why? Because all of his current slaves can see the difference. They see the difference between someone who really has that freedom and even sends his little minions in to spy out that freedom and try to enslave us once again because it's such a glorious testimony that all things are new. There is hope here. There is a new day for us, but we can't be simpletons and fools in this manner. The problem is we're so easily deceived back into the old lies that he has been deceiving us with all of those years. He may advertise our visit to his kingdom as a vacation in paradise. But it's a lie. His kingdom is putrid and full of death. Why would we ever listen to anything he has to say? He is a liar. He's a thief. He's only come to steal kill and destroy. That's his MO. That's what he's come to do. The devil seeks only to turn us back into slaves and beasts. But Jesus says this, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Think of that, it's Comparing that to the devil and his being this harsh taskmaster like the Pharaoh, constantly enslaving you back in your sin. Christ is saying, take my yoke upon you. He's willing to share the work with you, to help you to walk, to help you to live, to help you to persevere. Indeed, Christ's kingdom is glorious, for it's described as the realm of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful place to be a part of. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week, but this kingdom is ours if we know Jesus Christ. We can't see it if we haven't been born again, but if we've been born again, it's ours. We see it, we taste it, we know it because we are in league with Christ as our King. The problem is that many people today are not lovers of Christ. Rather, they're lovers of themselves. They're lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, and all of these things Satan continues to use to lure them back into the slavery of his kingdom. But the truth of the matter is, it's still the devil who's the Lord of their hearts. He's the king. He's the master. They're thinking that somehow they are the king of their own hearts, but he's, they're not. 
There's only two masters, if you will, and it's, it's either Satan or it's Christ. Satan continues to deceive us into thinking that we belong to the darkness, that good is evil, that evil is good, that bitter is sweet, that sweet is bitter. He continues to do that again and again. But the good news is that the Son of God has come to set the captives free, to liberate all those who are oppressed from the tyranny of the devil. Christ Jesus, by living the perfect righteous life that God requires, laying down His own life for our sins, literally the Scripture says He has purchased us with His blood. He has made us into His own people, a holy nation who have overcome the evil one. For this very purpose, to proclaim the excellencies of of Him who has brought us out of the darkness and into His marvelous light. It's a glorious testimony. The very reason the Gospel is preached to you this day is for the purpose of restoring the throne and dominion of God in your hearts. I'm going to say that again. It's actually a quote from Cotton Mather way back in the early days of America. The purpose of preaching is to restore the throne and dominion of God in our hearts. We forget that Christ is the King. We forget that His law is good. We forget that His purpose is good for us. We forget that this is our very purpose for living. But when we hear the Gospel, once again, we're encouraged to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ who has paid it all. And then to confess with our mouths, Jesus, He is Lord. Jesus, He is King. Jesus, He is my sovereign. I live to Him. This is a new year. This is a new day. It's a glorious future for the people of God. They're called saints. I don't know why. (laughs) But He seeks to make them into His holy people. What a glorious future we have. Meditate upon these things. Don't let the devil ensnare you once again to live for His awful, dark realm. It just doesn't make sense for the people of God. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help some of these truths to seep deep down into our hearts that we would not buy into the lies of the devil, that we would not continue to live our lives without thinking. You would free us from the enchantments, the enticements, the alluring words of the devil and of this world that continue to take our minds off of the the kingdom of God, off the realm of heaven. Lord, we pray that You would help us to know the hope, the joy, the peace of the Holy Spirit as we walk in Your righteous ways, as we seek to grow up in our faith, as we seek to continue to grow from one image of glory to another. Lord, help us to believe that it can happen and then cause it to happen in us as we seek to submit ourselves to your holy word. We pray in Jesus' name.